Welcome to the sermon podcast from Compass Church. In this sermon from December 12, 2021, Pastor Craig Kidder teaches from Matthew 2, 1 through 12, where we see that the message of Christmas is one of peace. For more information, please visit compassefc.com. Einstein once said that the most important question a person can ask is whether or not the universe is friendly. The most important question we can ask is whether or not this is a safe place for us. We we come out of the womb looking for someone who's an accepting face, who will love us, who will teach us how to live. The most important question we can ask ourselves is, is there a spot for me at the table? Who's going to take care of me? And this year, we're saying that Christmas is good news for misfits. For those of us who we've looked around and we feel like we don't belong. See, if we're all being honest, we would answer Einstein's question, is the universe a safe place? And we would say, sometimes? Some, some people in this universe are a safe place? You know, and, and my concern is that when we hear the, the claims of Christmas, they're so radical that they just fly over our heads, right? We're like, oh yeah, peace, right? Yeah, that would be really great. Peace, awesome. You know, in 1971, John Lennon and Yoko Ono released a record and, uh, with one of my favorite Christmas songs, Happy Christmas, right? And what does that song say? The war is over if you want it. The war is over. That song was released in 1971, and John Lennon was saying, we have no more need for war. Do you know how many wars were fought in the 70s alone? Too many, about 60. About, and we're not talking wars like what you experience when you sit down at the Christmas dinner table with your in-laws. We're not talking about those kind. We're talking about real wars with guns and people dying. Peace, right? I've got good news. Peace to all men. And we're like, I just, if we're honest, that does not match my experience. And my concern is that we hear these radical claims of Christmas and we're like, yeah, yeah, that's a great idea. Wouldn't that be nice if that were true? And we leave it in the abstract, and we never stop to think, what if that's true? If that's true, that should impact me in the here and now. The universe does not feel like a welcoming place. And so we start to fill in some of those gaps. Perhaps God isn't a welcoming person. And so we hear the invitation of Christmas, and we accept it in the abstract. Well, yes, Peace is nice. I like peace. Jesus brings peace. I'm okay with Jesus. But my concern is that are we really opening ourselves up to believe the message of peace for fear of being disappointed? When the Bible talks about peace, peace has this idea. Peace has this idea of resolution. It's kind of like when you're listening to a song and it's traveling through that harmony And if it ends 
for all you music nerds, on the five. If it ends on the five, you're like, oh, wait, we got to get back to the one, right? If it, ah, and it just ends. That's the opposite of peace. But peace is that resolution where, ah, the melody, the harmony lands, all right? You can use words for peace like wholeness. Uh, we don't use this word a lot, but concord. So we, we know what discord is. We know when things aren't right. But concord, bringing things together, that's the idea of peace. And, and Christmas, the message of Christmas is that those who are outside, those who don't belong, can really, truly experience peace. Wholeness. We can experience that, that feeling of, oh, things that aren't right are finally starting to get set right. And if we take that claim seriously, we have to admit we're all a little skeptical. I've been in this universe, and it doesn't always feel like a friendly place. My family doesn't even always feel like a friendly place. Like I go home for Christmas, and it's like, oh, yeah, I remember why I don't call. Oh, yeah, I remember you said that about my kids. Oh, yeah, I remember, I remember, and it, not peace, right? We, work isn't a friendly place, right? Do we experience peace at work? We get assigned a project, and our coworkers jealous because we got assigned that project, and so it just becomes like, oh man, I got to, I got to show them up. Oh, they're trying to show me up. Oh, it just becomes this battle of trying to show who's better. Peace. Good news of peace. Can we really experience peace on Christmas? We're going to look this morning at one of the most controversial Christmas stories there is. All right. It's controversial because lots of serious scholars, serious scholars, people who take the text seriously, don't believe it happened. They read it and they're like, this is fiction, this is made up, this is ridiculous. And so this morning, I want to do something for you that was like kind of the opposite, similar to the opposite of what I did last week. Remember last week I said, hey, you have this Christmas card ish, uh, image of the shepherds in your mind, I want to rip that up. All right. This week, I want to tape back together your Christmas card vision of the Magi, the three kings, okay? I want you to be able to like sing like, we three kings of Orientar, and not be like, what? what? Uh, all right? I want to give you an apologetic for why I think the gospel witnesses, these biographies about Jesus' life are trustworthy, all right? We believe that in real time and history, God entered our space and said, I have a message of peace. And if we open ourselves up to the possibility that this could be true, that this really did happen, it can utterly transform the way we navigate life. Last week we talked about the, the, the foundational message of Christmas is joy. The message of Christmas is that because Jesus has come, God's not mad at us. He's smiling at us. Well, that joy, the result of living in and experiencing joy, the smile of God, is peace. When we're people who start to open ourselves up to the possibility that God is thrilled with us. He delights in us. We are dearly loved children. He is not waiting for us to mess up, and he'll say, ha-ha, I knew it, gotcha. 
He delights. He loves. He's smiling over us. When we start to open ourselves up to the possibility that that's real and true, the Bible says we start to experience this thing called peace, healing, wholeness. This isn't in my notes. We're flying solo for a second, but just hang in with me for a second. All right? The Gospels are really kind of tricky and confusing. They're puzzles to un- unravel. But Jesus says something radical in John chapter 14. Uh, Judas, not Iscariot, starts asking him questions. And Jesus replies to some of his questions about who he is with this. He says this, From now on, the Father and I will only reveal ourselves to those who love us. All right? Jesus is saying this. How do you know God? How do you understand God? Love. Love is the connection, the attachment that we need to start navigating our lives with Jesus. Now, if love is so very important and so very central, how do we experience that love? It starts by opening ourselves up to, it starts by admitting it might be possible that the Christmas message has some truth to it. It starts by opening ourselves up to saying, this might have really happened to people in real time and space, and if it's true for them, what does that say about God and me? And we start to take steps, and then we start to trust. When God says he delights in us, he's smiling over us, maybe that's true. And then we experience what John said later, we love him because he first loved us. Faith and unraveling these crazy messages comes by trusting his love for us, that he really is thrilled that he delights in us like a father delights over a newborn baby. And so we get this message in Matthew's gospel with these characters called the Magi. And again, serious scholars look at this and they're like, this isn't real, this couldn't have happened. And I just want to like just humbly say, hey, look, are we open to another perspective? I think this really did happen. And we're going to untangle it for a second. And I think the importance and the beauty of it is this. The Magi, here's what happened. They did what they knew, okay? They did what they knew, but they didn't know all that they did, all right? Hang on with me while you untangle that Baptist message there. The Magi did what they knew. These people, Magi is where we get the English word magic, all right? The Magi, they were just like, You know, teenagers in the American Midwest, they read Seventeen Magazine, read their horoscopes, and then interpreted the world through that. They're looking at the horoscopes, and they see a message. A king is here. Like, whoa. So they did what they knew. And so they show up with gifts. But here's what I genuinely believe. And then scholars go, that's ridiculous. But here's what I genuinely believe. They didn't know all that they did. When they showed up, to that newborn baby's room. When they showed up bearing gifts, Matthew knows something I believe the Magi doesn't. And what he's saying is this. This, these strangers from the east who showed up, this is a big signal that God is starting to make things right. 
See, I believe the Magi are returning something that was stolen from Israel, and it's, it's a tip of the hat that God is saying, Christmas really does change things. I'm really here to set things right, and you can experience peace. And here's what's beautiful. If they didn't know all that's going on, perhaps we don't know all that's going on. And perhaps there's another perspective. There's another way at looking at our lives. What if we saw our lives the way God sees them? You know, for a lot of us, it's like, I don't want to do that. That'd be awful. But the message of Christmas is this. It's good news. Remember, we love him because he first loved us. We don't love him because we got our act together and became somebody worth loving. He made the first move. And with the Magi, we see that God is righting wrongs. He is working toward peace. And that opens us up to the possibility that maybe we're not seeing the whole picture. Maybe if we could see things from God's perspective, it would breathe all kinds of meaning into these mundane moments in our lives. See, most of our life is lived in the mundane, right? You don't get to live on the mountaintop for most of your life. My wife's grandfather, after he passed, we were in Taipei in his apartment looking through. He like wrote down these like really clever, like wise sayings. And one of them was, if you feast every day, you feast no days, all right? You can't live on the mountaintop. Most of our life is mundane. What if God is working in the mundane to change so many things and we're totally unaware? What if there's a different way of seeing your life, even those small moments, and when we start to see our lives, how God sees them, what if what we experience in that moment is peace? Would you be open to such a possibility? Let's go to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. If you have a, one of the Pewback Bibles, it's on page 1469, I think. Close to that. Four, can someone verify? I just get my own curiosity with my mind. Is my memory what it used to be? It's not 1469? Oh, oh. Whew. Well, find out. Let me know. Don't stress me out. I'm like, oh, man, my memory. All right. Four, I think it's 1469. Matthew chapter 2. All right. And if you would, would you please stand with me out of reverence for God's word? Jeremiah, you've got to find it now. You gave me a heart attack. You've got you to you at least find a pew Bible and find out if we're right. All right. Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem and Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you found him, report to me that I too may come and worship him. And after they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star 
uh, that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is the word of the Lord. Father, Father, we trust that your word changes things. So God, I pray that your word would just peel back the curtain. God, help us to see things the way you see things. God, breathe new meaning into the mundane moments of our lives and help us to to be people who take steps toward peace. God, we know you can do this. God, we pray that you'd you'd bring transformation and healing, which is what peace is all about. Ask all these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. You can have a seat. You can have a seat. The Magi is really controversial. Let me just give you the, the overview of the story of the Magi, okay? So basically, Jesus has been born. We don't know how much time has passed, but Jesus is born, and these Magi from the East. Some of you are saying, I thought they were kings. Hang on for a second. These Magi from the East, that's a very important detail, come to Jerusalem because they saw a star. They go to this guy, Herod, who's the king, and they say, hey, we saw a star. And he freaks out, finds out, and actually go to Bethlehem. They go to Bethlehem, and then they don't go back to Herod to tell him because they get warned Herod's not a good guy. All right? And then the next passage after this, we see genocide. Herod murders all the two-year-old kids. That's, that's Jesus' story. Scholars look at that and go, that couldn't have happened. Here's what's happening. Here's what, this is what some scholars say. Here's what's happening. All right? So whenever kings were born in royal times, they would want to say, oh, hey, this is a really important king. So the whole world has come to just see this king. So that, this didn't really happen. This is just like a literary clue to let us know, like, hey, Jesus is important, and the gospel writers thought so. Because why would these people come? So here's what historians know. If they're from the east, they're probably from Persia, which is Babylon. All right? And Babylon, they, how, why would they have cared about what's happening in Jerusalem? They're not friends. This is ridiculous. I think what's going on here, though, is that this really did happen. In real time and space, in real time and space, the Magi showed up, and what happened was people like Matthew, who understood their Hebrew Bibles, knew exactly what was going on. See, Matthew chapter 2, the the birth narrative about Jesus is Star Wars episode 5, all right? It's the Empire Strikes Back. If you just jump into the Empire Strikes Back, you're like, what's happening? Why are they on the snow planet? What? What's going on? I don't get it, all right? So we got to back up and, and remind ourselves some of the streams that flow into Matthew chapter 2. And the problem is, is that this, this story that is Matthew chapter 2, I think Mark, Matthew's saying, hey, this is a fulfillment of something that happened. This is setting right, something that happened long ago. A lot of us are just unfamiliar with the story, all right? So this story comes, what, what's happening, the, the episode 4 takes place in 2 Kings chapter 20 with one of Israel's most notorious kings, all right? At this time, Israel, the kingdom's divided, and Israel has, like, good kings, and they've got bad kings. And here's one of those kings, Hezekiah. He's complicated. He's neither good nor bad. He does some pretty awesome things. He does some pretty stupid things. And he did a stupid thing, though, that changed the course of Israel's future, all right? So here's what he did. He gets sick, 
He falls ill, is what the text says. He's afraid he's going to die. So he prays and prays and prays, and God saves his life. Amazing. And Isaiah comes to him and says, hey, because you prayed, God saves your life. And we're like, man, what a great king, good guy. He, he asks God for something, God trusts him. I mean, he trusts God, bingo, bingo. What a great guy. And then it gets complicated, right? So Babylon, who's the superpower at that time, sends an envoy with like a get well soon card. Okay, remember? Word traveled slow back then, so they send a bunch of folks, hey, get well soon, Hezekiah. They get there, and Hezekiah's fine. And so what does he do? He's like, hey, you traveled all this way. Would you like a tour of the kingdom? And they go, we're political enemies? Absolutely, right? And so he starts showing them around. And here's what Isaiah, so this, is, this story is repeated a few times in the Bible. Here's what Isaiah tells us leading to the second king story. Here's what Hezekiah received these envoys gladly. He's super excited to see them. Why? Israel's not very important. Man, this really important superpower is coming to see us. How exciting. Maybe we can work toward peace. That's what he's thinking. And he showed them what was in the storehouses, the silver, the gold, the spices, the fine oils, his entire armory. Here's where we keep the guns. Everything found among his treasures. And then Isaiah just lets us know just how silly this was. There was nothing in his palace or in all his kingdom that Hezekiah did not show them. All right? Hezekiah is afraid of Babylon. Babylon is here, and Hezekiah is like, fantastic. I'll just show them everything, and they'll be like, great, let's be friends. That is not what happened, though. Here's what Isaiah the prophet comes and says, like, dude, why'd you do that? Here's what he says, the time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your predecessors have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. All right? Oops. I just sealed the fate of Israel for everybody coming after me. But here's, here's the crazy thing, all right? Here's the crazy thing that Hezekiah says. He says this back in 2 Kings. This is what he says. The word of the Lord you've spoken is good, Hezekiah replied. For he thought, will there not be peace and security in my lifetime? All right? Here's what this dude did. He basically, on a massive scale, took money out of his grandkids' 529 account and bought a golf cart. He's like, isn't this fun? Meanwhile, his grandkids are like, what? You just stole my future. He's like, I'm set. What does he say? Will there not be peace in my lifetime? I have it made in the shade. I get to experience no consequences. Woohoo! This became a national black eye for Israel. It gets brought up again and again because here's why. All right? We think differently than these folks, but remember this. When nations went to war in that time, it wasn't just, hey, who's got a bigger army? Let's go fight. It's gods fighting gods. And so Yahweh is going up against the Babylonian gods, and Yahweh loses. They plunder the temple. They take all the treasures. And what were those treasures? Silver, gold, spices, and fine oil. They take it all. All right? And this becomes, I mean, this gets brought up again and again. You think back to Daniel. Uh, this is Belshazzar. He has a party. Uh, and they brought the gold. They, the Babylonians, brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines drank from them. All right? Again, it's just rubbing salt on the wound. 
Now what do we think of the East? What do we think of Babylon? Those people humiliated our God. They stole our stuff and they kept rubbing it in our faces. And the remnant that's left following Yahweh, you can imagine their neighbors are like, you still believe this? You believe this happened? If God is so great, if he's so powerful, why did the Babylonians come and wipe us out? I think their gods are more powerful. And that's what the Babylonians were trying to say. The next verse, Daniel 5, 4, says that they then, they praised and worshiped the Babylonian gods. Yahweh's a loser. It's over. It's like our secular neighbors. You still believe that? You still need that emotional crutch of church? I mean, this has all been disproven. This is silly. And the remnant is left just like, is the universe a friendly place? Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, we see some strangers who come, and where do they come from? The east. Babylonians show up. And what do they have? Look with me back at Isaiah, all right? The silver, the gold, the spices, the fine olive oil. What's frankincense and myrrh? Spices and oil. And Leviticus tells us that those were certainly kept in the temple and that were, they were used for worship. And here's what happens. Look with me at verse 11. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother. They bowed down and worshiped. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. What had been taken was now being returned. I don't think those three magi, those three kings, had any idea the significance of what they were doing. They were fulfilling all kinds of Old Testament prophecies. Prophecies... Like what uh, Zephaniah, Zephaniah says, from beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshipers, my scattered people will come and bring me offerings. Like what Isaiah says, when Zion gets restored, then you will look, Zion, and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with what? Joy. The wealth on the seas, the seas were Gentiles, will be brought to you. To you, the riches of the nations will come. The first Christmas story is people, they are responding to what they know. The stars said, hey, something new has happened, but they didn't know all that they were doing. And if there's meaning that, that can happen in their lives, don't you think that God sees things we don't? We who feel like the universe is not a friendly place and we get stuck in the mundane, God may have another perspective. God may be doing things that we are totally unaware of. Peace is hard. It's really hard to be a people of peace. But just like last week, we talked about God's smile Right? Joy is what happens when someone is excited to see us. Remember, we come out of the womb saying, is there a safe person? Can someone take care of me? Will someone love me? Joy is that feeling we get when someone's face lights up to see us. I'm a safe person. I'm here. And that smile creates joy. What happens when we live in a state of joy? We start to experience peace, wholeness, 
Restoration. Things that were taken get restored. And I'm not making this up. This is number six. This is familiar. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you. Or as Old Testament scholars say, making a face shine on someone is the functional equivalent of a smile. May God smile on you and be gracious to you. Not give us what we deserve, but just lavish us with kindness and love. May he turn his face toward you and give you peace. When we start to believe the message of Christmas, that peace is available to those who trust. When we start to open ourselves up to the possibility, I might not be seeing everything as it is. We start to experience the smile of God. We start to experience his love and his care. And when we start to experience that, we experience healing. God's love, God's smiling face, God's fatherly care who just delights in his children is how we start to experience peace. Many of us, that's hard to imagine. We don't have good parents. We don't experience the universe as a friendly place. We're like, yeah, I can imagine what a father's love is like, I've never experienced that. I can imagine, I saw people who had a, a dad that liked them, but I don't know what that's really like. Look, I, I believe, I've said this before, we live in like a post-Christian uh, society, meaning like there was a time when you could just kind of make assumptions about culture. Now we live in post-Christian, you can't make those assumptions anymore. Uh, and Flannery O'Connor, uh, she said like the result of that, she called it the Christ-haunted South. Christ was here, and there's like remnants of it, but is he here anymore? And, and I think the best example of the Christ-haunted South or this post-Christian culture is the Grinch, okay? The story of the Grinch is about someone who's isolated and then as a result is incredibly cruel. We're seeing what life looks like when you're isolated from love. And if you want the best version of it, just because I have the stage, no one can disagree with me, is the Benedict Cumberbatch version where like Pharrell is the narrator. It's fantastic. I loved it. Watched it with my kids last night. It's fantastic. But here's the thing about the Grinch. He's cruel to his dog. He's skeptical of other people. And we think, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, but why is that? It's because he hasn't experienced a face that delights, a love that says, I love you and accept you unconditionally. And that breeds destruction. Look, we live in a world where it doesn't feel safe and you're not crazy for feeling that. We live in a world where at work, people will, you know, make alliances and then go try to get us fired. We live in a place where family has disappointed us. And for some of us, when we talk about surrender, it's like, no, no, surrender is dangerous. Do not surrender because that, that creates codependency. That creates like uh, all these problems. The reason we feel like that is because we've never experienced a love that's dependable. If you surrender, if you give up to another person, that other person will let you down. And that creates hurt. God's perspective, though, is hey, this world is broken. It's not functioning as it should. 
Verse 13, this Herod guy goes on a genocide. But what if, what if the good news of Christmas is that God now delights in his children? And look, I think the Magi at least got that because look with me at verse 10. They lost the star, they hung out with Herod, they saw the star again. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Remember, God reveals himself to people who love him. They, were star- they may not have known much. They may not have had the full, but they didn't know, they, may not, they probably didn't know Zephaniah 3.10. They didn't know all the nuances of what God was doing, but they knew enough. Are we willing to take those first steps? Like, yeah, but look, all that stuff doesn't really do anything, right? I mean, like, I'm sure that works for, like, someone who's way more spiritual than me, but, like, I really, I do things, and I don't, I don't start to see these great results and this great, like, boom, fruit from it. I, I, I love on people, and nothing happens. Again, what if more was going on than we were aware of? I've shared in here before, but there are really two mild, like, wildly impactful experiences that my family had. One was when my son Boaz got sick with Kawasaki and we had to hospitalize him. And the doctors hadn't diagnosed him yet. And it was like really scary, scary seeing like a tiny toddler hooked up to all these machines. It was terrifying. But I remember you, folks in here just dropped off snacks, just dropped off cards, you know, brought us lunch, right? And some of you are like, well, what does that do? You know what that did for me? It gave me hope that this church, not this church, but church might actually sometimes work. Like one of the things that was wild was we were sharing that with friends of ours who are secular and totally far from God. And they almost didn't believe us. They're like, why do people drop off so much stuff for you? Like they thought we were in like a cult or something. We don't realize how radical just some of these ordinary mundane things we do are. And they can change family trees. Look, Hezekiah robbed from his grandkids. He's like, I got peace. Sorry. We experience love like that. But what if we took steps toward peace saying, I may not see everything this does, but one day I might change my family tree. I mean, I, I, I may not know what go, taking this step and going to therapy does. I may not know, okay, I'm trying to just step toward wholeness. I'm a mess. I don't really like my kids. I don't like my wife. I'm going to go to therapy and see if I can get some help. See if I can get some help. How does that change our family tree? Right? You're like, hey, I'm addicted to porn. All right? What is that going to do? I'll stop porn. Maybe I'll feel better. What's that going to change? You have no idea those mundane moments how God might be changing your family tree. Not robbing, but giving. Taking steps toward peace. It's Christmas. It's 11.34 on a bitterly cold December day, and we're all piled in here. I'm going to make an assumption that many of us, not all, not all, but many of us have at least to some degree said, I, Jesus is Lord, all right? He's the general ruler of my life. I trust him, and I generally want to do what he says. So that means there are certain habits I avoid, and there are certain behaviors I add to my life. I want to be a Christian, all right? I'm going to assume that's true for many of us. I know it's not true for all of us, many of us. Even for those of us who have said that, there are beneath the surface strongholds. That those of us who we say, yep, Jesus, your Lord, we love you, but this part of my life is off limits. 
I've got this checking account. That's mine. I've got this relationship over here. You can't have that. If you're a teenager, it might be, hey, I know I should follow God. I know I should trust God. I'm going to do that when I get older. I want to live a little. I want to go to Coachella. I want to have sex with a stranger. I want to experience life. Then I'll follow God. The message of Christmas, if it really is good news, says that when we're ready to end the war, when we're ready to make peace with those parts of us that we're withholding, that we have a death grip on, when we're ready to loosen that death grip, we don't come back to a God who said, about time. I, I've, I really am glad you finally got your act together, you know? You, of all people, should know better. No. When we're ready to step toward peace, we're walking toward a smiling face who rejoices and delights. That is so hard to believe. We spend the rest of our life fighting our inner critic, saying, yeah, yeah, that's true for the people beside you. That is not true for you. And the message of Christmas is that misfits, people who don't feel they belong, can come to the smiling face of God. He's excited to see you. He delights. He loves. He's thrilled with you because of Jesus. That's the message. And when we start to believe that, when we start to see things from God's perspective, peace follows. And we may change our family trees completely unaware. Do we trust God? Like, look, these, these magi, these three kings that came, and that we say three, we have no idea how many there were. It's because there were three gifts. So again, you can sing the song and be totally fine with it. But imagine you're like a magi's assistant in, in Babylon that weekend, and someone's like, hey, what are you doing this weekend? Oh, I have to go to this, like, two-horse town in Palestine because my boss saw a star and there's going to be a king. So I've got to miss, like, Babylon's Coachella. I've got to go on this boring thing. And imagine what, what did they see? They saw God's face as a baby. And what was their reaction? They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Healing. Jesus' life is bookended by people who were far away coming close. In his birth, it's these magi, and at his death, it's Pilate's wife. And the good news is that no matter how far you feel, the invitation is for you. The invitation of a father's delight is not for the super-religious, the, the super religious, what, what does it say earlier in verse 3? It says that Herod was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Those who were close didn't get it. But the ones who were far away. So you're like, man, church is not for me. This isn't my thing. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I get this. But if you really knew, the message of Christmas is if we take peace seriously, if we open ourselves up to the possibility that healing can take place in a universe that's not totally friendly. We can experience the smile and the delight of a father that provides peace. And I'm not here today trying to say to you, hey, have you suffered? Have you lost a child? Do you have cancer? Well, if you just change your thinking, you're good. Just, you're not thinking right. It's lemonade. 
I know it looks like a lemon, but it's lemonade, all right? You got cancer? Lemonade. The hope for those of us who have questions that are not resolved is that peace may not come in this life, but in eternity, we are waiting an eternity where peace awaits us. It's not like, oh, when I die, now the shoe's gonna drop, I'm gonna realize it was meaningless. No, what if eternity is God pulling back the curtain and showing all the ways that your life changed other people's lives, that the hard things you walked through, look at how that changed so many things. You were just doing what you knew, just like these magi, but there was so much God was doing behind the scenes. Healing may not come like we want it to now. But when we invite Jesus into the moment, into the chaos, the promise of peace is for us. Healing, wholeness, and restoration is for you. What's keeping you from saying yes to what you know today? Father, Father, there are many things we walk through that tell us the universe is not a safe place. Father, we are aware of the danger around us. God, I pray that we would be more aware of the healing you provide, that we can take steps toward healing, that we can open ourselves up to peace because you have blessed us. You have made your face shine on us. You've turned your face toward us. God, that we would believe that. So all these things in Jesus' name, amen. This podcast is part of the ministry of Compass Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, please check out compasscfc.com.